the Messiah who is to come uh, throughout all this redemptive history will not only crush the head of the serpent, he will also reconstitute what a proper um, son of God is to be, a proper son who uh, is a prophet, priest, and king. Welcome back to Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast, a broadcast where the faculty of Mid-America discuss everything from Reformed theology, cultural issues, and all things seminary. This is episode 63, and I'm your host, Jared Luchibor. Thanks for tuning in. Well, next week is Christmas, and we find ourselves in the season of Advent. Joining the podcast for the next three episodes are Old Testament professors Reverend Andrew Compton and Reverend Mark Vanderhart, who sit down to talk about Advent and the coming Savior, focusing today on Genesis and other Old Testament texts in the Pentateuch. Uh, the Incarnation, of course, what we celebrate at Christmas, the, the fact that uh, Christ has come, uh, the Word became flesh, and yet this wasn't something that came out of just anywhere. It has deep roots in the Old Testament, and uh, that's what we decided to start out with today, is looking at these original Old Testament uh, prophecies of the coming of Christ. The place, you know, we really get this thing kicked off is interestingly in the midst of a number of curses given in Genesis 3. You know, here, here is the result of Adam's uh, Adam and Eve's sin against the Lord. And the Lord shows up and immediately speaks to the serpent uh, with very profound words. And he says in Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15, uh, the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Well, what do we have going on here? What stands out in my mind is, uh, especially in verse 15, uh, is the fact that uh, it's a divine action that uh, kicks off the antithesis. God says, I will put enmity, which suggests there wasn't uh, enmity between the two seeds. And if you were to think about that, I suppose not, because when the woman and the man uh, listened to the voice of the serpent, they had, in fact, become the servants of the serpent mm. and uh, were following his dictates and he, his word is now leading the way. And therefore, uh, what follows in all of redemptive history is at least this, there's an element of enmity. Uh, but God has to do it. God has to insert it there. And uh, furthermore, the verse speaks of uh, the contestants, seed of the woman, seed of the serpent, which suggests a plurality. It suggests a plurality of... Mm -hmm. um, a line of descendants and people on one side or the other. And it's not something that is uh, biologically determined or nationally determined. It's, it's a division that's spiritually determined because the firstborn son of the woman physically 
Cain turns out to be like his father, mm-hmm. not only Adam in terms of <laughs> dead in sins and trespasses, but like his father, um, the serpent, uh, who was a murderer from the beginning, who was a liar from the beginning. And so physical descent is not essential here, but rather it's a spiritual difference. And so the contestants are two seeds, and the actions are uh, a conflict, namely one will bruise the head of the other, the other will bruise the heel of the other. You know, and that conflict that begins here um, really does get traced out through the rest of Scripture. It it, it seems like from this moment on, we, we get a uh, a very pointed glimpse into what turns into the the line of seed uh, waging war against the line of the serpent. You know, his seed, the serpent's uh, uh, seed or offspring. We see English translations handling it differently, mm-hmm. but uh, but yes, this this theme of seed, the the Hebrew word zera, is going to show up in very uh, key places now uh, throughout the remainder of the Pentateuch. But it's a yeah, very, very much. Here is this. Um, here is this one who will, uh, will who will come from the woman, who's supposed to serve as the uh, well, who will serve in this destruction of the serpent. And it is interesting you mentioned Cain because it seems to me that that at Cain's birth, Eve seems to may even be hoping that this that that this is coming true now. The seed has come. Um, you know, she says in four verse one. You know, I have gotten a man. With the help of the Lord, you know, here is the Lord being faithful now, giving giving this person. And yet, as you just mentioned, actually, we learn First uh, John three verse twelve, Cain is like his spiritual father, the devil. I find it interesting how that um, <clears throat> how these uh, curses work out too, <clears throat> where the serpent is directly cursed. Right, cursed are you mm-hmm. above all li- livestock. Um, we we find with the woman uh, with Eve. Uh, she'll she'll have this pain, uh, but but no curse directly given to her, at least predicated ex- uh, explicitly of her. Whereas with Adam, it's interesting how uh, cursed is the ground because of you. What's interesting though is here comes Cain now, this this potential seed rival, this potential seed victor, um, and these two things are kind of brought together in four verse eleven, and now you which really echoes that address to the serpent, cursed are you. Now you are cursed from the ground. So it's interesting how that pulls together, uh, you know, these all, all the negative things going on in the curse section, uh, showing ultimately uh, that, that Cain uh, fails. And so we, we sit at this point uh, recognizing that a seed will come and yet not finding it in Cain. Certainly we don't end up finding it in Abel, who was killed by Cain. Uh, but maybe with Seth. And the story really kicks off from here as we begin to see this develop through the rest of, of Genesis. Yeah, the word offspring or seed will become increasingly unpacked hmm. uh, in redemptive history. Uh, this story, that history, that portion of God's plan is uh, all adding to the great uh, picture, the great mosaic of what the Messiah will be. Um, and what he will be is a reconstitution of the first Adam. Mm-hmm. The first Adam is, um, you know, we speak of Christ as prophet, priest, and king, a threefold office. 
And Adam in the Garden of Eden was already that. He had received God's word, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, for God gave him his word. Therefore, he has the knowledge of God's mind and God's will. That's what a prophet deals with. He was without sin, therefore he was holy, which is what a priest is concerned Mm with, guarding the uh, precincts of God's shrine, Mm -hmm. God's home keeping all uh, unfit and impure and unholy things out. And clearly Genesis 1 says that the first man was king. He was to rule over the birds, the fish, and the other creatures of God's creation. And so the Messiah who is to come uh, throughout all this redemptive history will not only crush the head of the serpent, he will also reconstitute Mm. what a proper... Um, son of God is to be, a proper son who uh, is a prophet, priest, and king. And therefore, all of the various offices that Israel has, she had kings, she had priests, prophets would arise, are God's way of sketching and outlining, uh, should we say, recapturing in, in a way what the first Adam was, but painting a picture that's looking forward to the final incarnation of Christ. We can even move forward into the patriarchs um, with, with uh, seems like quite a big jump, but, but with Abraham, we have such a significant movement happening now with this narrowing down to this one family um, and, the, and the covenant promises given to him. But striking are the words in Genesis 22, uh, verses 17 and 18, <clears throat> where after Abraham has has obediently presented his son Isaac as, a, as an offering to God to be sacrificed unto him and, and totally perplexed as to how this is going to work out, although Hebrews, uh, the, uh, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament suggesting that he had confidence that God could even raise uh, Isaac from the dead. Um, but after this whole event and after they are, uh, uh, after he realizes he does not have to sacrifice his son, um, God says, uh, starting at 22, verse 16, um, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your sp- your offspring, your seed, shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. There's really a, a almost a chiastic balance there, blessing and offspring, offspring and blessing, kind of a, a back and forth element that we see. But here, now we have the the, the role, the, the seed uh, being described as the one who will uh, possess the gate of his enemies. You know, again, this military uh, language being brought back in, he will, he will be victor. And how striking then that Paul... Um, in Galatians 3.16, even looks back on this event. It's now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, his seed. This is the, you know, here's the Greek uh, drawing upon the, the, um, the Old Testament, uh, but the equivalent words here, Greek and Hebrew for seed. Uh, it does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ, Paul says. Paul is... Picking up on the fact that uh, the word for offspring or seed is singular in form, but it can have a 
plural or multiple sense, as we sometimes use the word police. Mm-hmm. Many mm-hmm. police arrived, or, or I caught many fish. Singular in form, but plural in sense. And uh, the Galatians passage, therefore, Paul is using that idea. It's not to seeds as to many, but it's to one, Christ. And yet later on in that same passage, the, all those who believe in Jesus Christ are the seed, plural, of Abraham. In other words, in the Messiah, the one and the many are contemplated, but it has to go through the one. The success of God's redemptive plan rests on only one, but because uh, of the success of Christ, many are blessed. That goes back to something else in Genesis. Through you, Hmm. all the nations or all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, I think that brings out another dimension of the Messiah. Uh, On the one hand, he engages and leads the antithesis, the fight against the devil and his seed. But Genesis 12 also indicates that another role of the Messiah is to be the source of blessing. And, you know, when you come to the New Testament then, Christ proclaimed the coming of the kingdom. He taught what the nature of the kingdom was. But then he also brought blessing to people by healing, feeding, uh, bringing back to life, restoring some of the horrific damage that sin and Satan have caused in this world. Yeah, and how blessing blessing and victory... um, are coming together even here in in Genesis 22 again possessing the gate of his enemies mm-hmm. and in your seed in your seed singular uh, shall all the earth be blessed and and it is even there earlier in the verse right I will multiply your seed singular as the stars of heaven that draws exactly on that singular plural thing you were just getting at um, and it almost reads in a funny way you know that for them to talk about multiplying a singular as the stars of heaven. Hmm. Uh, what is this, cloning or something going on? But but rather here, look how it keeps that singular in view the whole time. It never allows the collective, it never allows the multitude to become um, untethered from this singular figure who will be that agent singular of blessing. Uh, I think that's what Paul is getting at. I don't think Paul is, is doing the rabbinic thing of just punning on a single word. I think he's rightly perceiving the, the significance of that singular seed as it echoes back to Genesis 3. Another dimension, speaking of possessing the gates of the enemies, um, something of the nature of the Messianic kingdom, I think, is sketched for us also in Genesis 49. In Genesis 49, we have uh, the patriarchal blessing upon his sons, the various tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. And if you read through that, section, you know, every tribe gets, uh, or every son gets words addressed to him. However, if you really want to search for the words that really flesh out blessing, really only two sons get that, (laughs) Joseph Mm -hmm. and Judah. But I draw your attention to what is said about Judah in Genesis 49, 8 and following, Judah, your son, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Mm. There's that victor yep. over uh, enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. 
From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, scepter, of course, being a royal symbol, Mm -hmm. nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Now, something of the nature of the kingdom here is that in conquering his enemies, he is a lion and he possesses the scepter, he actually uh, brings peace to them and prosperity. Milk, wine, those are all symbols of of riches and uh, bounty. And, um, yeah, the, the ESV translates, until tribute comes to him. Uh, personally, I like a different translation, uh, mm. namely, until it, he comes to whom it belongs. Mm-hmm. Until he comes to whom it belongs. In other words, uh, Judah and the line of Judah will be the line of the Messiah, and the, the royal dimension of the second Adam belongs to that tribal line, until he comes, and that will be the Messiah. That when Christ is born, he is the king. Yeah, and you have that, uh, you have again, like you mentioned, that, that again, the warfare language of the, of, uh, you know, the hand upon the neck of the enemies. But, but here too, his, his, uh, this, this ending scene, you know, where, where, um, what happens in verse 10 leads into verse, uh, Verse 11 and 12, right? What's the result? Binding his foal to the vine, his donkey's colt to the choice vine. Of course, uh, hopefully our listeners are, are right away hearing the word donkey and, and not thinking that is accidental. Uh, the fact that the donkey is, is very much this royal uh, beast of burden. We find this in, in Zechariah chapter 9. Um, interesting, you know, how, uh, how that plays out because the donkey was also a significant symbol of wealth with the with the caravans that would uh, traverse the ancient near east and be able to to bring uh bring um uh great wealth and ore from the mines or all over uh, but but here too just the the uh, the greatness of this king here's this this donkey uh but also the fact that he binds it to the vine I mean, if you have grapes, and remember in Canaan, grapes are a, a pretty hot commodity. The wine industry in Canaan was was well known throughout the Mediterranean, um, and yet here he is binding his donkey to the vine, uh, where where the grapes will be. There there will be plenty of grapes. <laughs> you can you can let him eat, uh, you know. And here is this um, here is this uh, this this picture of uh, of great. Well, the, the great victory, you know, of celebration and of success at the end of this uh, this this uh, conquest. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> no, no, that's that's beautiful because then it fits into so much of the uh, uh, picture that we get of the Davidic king, mm-hmm. and especially the kingdom as that prospered under Solomon, mm-hmm. where uh, you know he brings. He brings powerful rule. He has nations around him, subject to him, and it's a time of peace and prosperity. And that's the time when the the Davidide, David has conquered his enemies, and then the son of David begins to mm-hmm. build the house of God, both literally and you know metaphorically. 
Oh. And he almost and he almost embodies this kind of um this kind of flourishing in verse 12. His eyes are darker than wine. I mean, normally if I saw somebody with with eyes that color, I might be a little nervous that maybe they're having a an, an ocular problem. But but, no, but the wine and the, the It's a mark of uh, beauty and handsomeness. Mhm. <laughs> well, and and see how he embodies even that that uh the, the flowing of wine, the, the, the celebratory aspect, and the fecundity, the fatness, the milk. Um, you know, the, the fatness of the land is that great sign of blessing. And here in his person, uh, we, we see uh, this, this, great, um, this great new era, as it were, uh, embodied. It's interesting, though, um, just sort of an aside, J- Jacob gives his blessing to these sons. Joseph gets a rich blessing. And Judah does as well, but I, I think throughout the whole Joseph story, the Joseph narratives, uh, what is emerging is not just the son that Jacob loved the most, Joseph, but the true royal son. Hmm. Judah is the one who suggests some very horrible things to do to Joseph when he was a when he was a, shall we say stopped and and imprisoned and then sold mm-hmm. by his brothers. But later on, it's Judah who offers himself, lest Benjamin be lost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Judah could not bear to see his father Jacob, you know, go to his grave in in uh, in horrific grief. And it's the speech of Judah that causes Joseph to break. And so uh, later on, Joseph, Judah will become a big and powerful tribe in the wilderness. And therefore, it will occupy a huge portion of southern Canaan. And it's out of Judah that will come uh, ultimately David. We've seen the prophesied coming of Christ in Genesis and other early books of the Old Testament. But what about Isaiah and the prophets that we read of? Tune in next week to hear our Old Testament professor's insight on that. For more podcast episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu, YouTube, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reform Seminary's Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.